On this month's Best Case Ever, we've got the one and only Dr. Mike Betzner, an ED doc from Calgary who's also the medical director for the Stars Air Ambulance Service. Now, Dr. Betzner and I, along with Michael Mish and James Brokenshire, have been collaborating on the EM Cases Crit Cases blog. So the way it works is Dr. Betzner sends us his best critical care transport medicine cases where there isn't much evidence to guide us, and we create an interactive blog out of them, taking you step-by-step through the decision process. And Mike has been such a great collaborator to work with. So welcome back to EM Cases, Mike, for another one of your best cases ever. Well, first, uh, Anton, thanks for having me back. Uh, you guys have been great to work with. I think we're having fun with the Crit Cases blog, and, and certainly your group's doing a great job getting those reviewed by some uh, tremendously uh, talented people. So uh, I think if people haven't been looking at that, I'd encourage them to. There's some neat stuff on there. The case I'm going to talk about today sort of speaks to a theme that I like to personally talk about, and that is uh, what to do when you don't have the stuff. Uh, and this applies very frequently in the air transport work that, that I do and, and in trying to help rural physicians who every day have to look after very sick patients uh, without help um, and without gear and without the extra stuff that those of us that do work in tertiary care just are used to having at our beck and call. And so this particular case is, is a, a 74-year-old woman that was in a small rural hospital about 45-minute uh, flight away from where I work. And she had presented with very severe shortness of breath. Um, she was a known chronic renal failure patient, but not known to this community. Uh, she had missed her dialysis run the preceding day. And she, in traveling through this community, got into trouble with you know, very severe shortness of breath and, and peripheral edema. So she arrived there with, with a heart rate of 72, a blood pressure of 184 over 100. Respiratory rate was described as 24 and labored. Her saturation on room air was 70%. And even on a non-rebreather, the best they could get was about 85%. Her typical normal meds were aspirin, bisoprolol, Eprex, and Lipitor. And the rural physician described it to me as, as being able to only speak in two or three word sentences. And I can, in fact, you know, hear her in the background. She had crackles everywhere and her JVP was elevated to the angle of her jaw at, at, at an upright position. Wow. So at this point, you've got basically a combination of CHF and acute renal failure without access to dialysis. So uh, this is certainly a, a challenging situation. Yeah. And, and you know, again, uh, you know, in a small hospital, one doc and a couple of nurses, this is a very big problem. And, and so our crew was dispatched to help. And, and in fact, I didn't attend to this patient personally, but we have a tremendously good telemedicine capability with our crew. And, and so they had arrived shortly, you know, after the initial call within about uh, you know, 30 minutes they were there. And, and so I was trying to temporize a few things while the crew was on the way. And, and so that's what I wanted to talk about first. I mean, I think the typical response to this would be to start nitroglycerin, uh, which was started here. She was started on IV nitrates, or I'll often actually even titrate up nitro patches, sort of go 0 0.2, 0 0.4, 0 0.6, 0 0.8. I do that all the time, especially in rural communities where it's a big deal starting a nitro infusion sometimes. And so that was what was actually done here is we titrated up nitro patches to a total, I think, of 1.2 uh, milligrams an hour of transcutaneous nitroglycerin until we got our pressure down in the 140 range systolic. 
but she was still struggling to breathe and still very significantly volume overloaded. I asked the real physician whether she made any urine at all, and I think that's an important question because patients in renal failure still sometimes have some renal function, and the ones that can can urinate, you could still potentially try some furosemide, but this person was completely anuric and so and had been for a couple of years, so that really wasn't wasn't going to accomplish very much, even though furosemide, of course, is a venodilator, and you could try it, I suppose, but uh, certainly not going to move the volume with it significantly. And then in a rural hospital, um, sometimes, you know, they have access to CPAP or BiPAP. Sometimes, you know, you don't. And in this circumstance, they they didn't have a BiPAP machine. And so this is another sort of favorite topic of mine, and that is, what do you do when you don't have CPAP or BiPAP available? And so this community had a ventilator, and, and so I had them actually set her up on a ventilator circuit on pressure support and PEEP, which is essentially BiPAP. So we put her on 10 of pressure support and 5 of PEEP, and then sort of played around with, with those settings, got her to a total of about 15 of inspiratory pressure or pressure support and, and a 7.5 of PEEP, but still couldn't get her, you know, her SATs above you know, 85%, and she was still struggling very significantly. And that's about the time my crew arrived, and they're, they're sort of going, boy, we can't fly this lady in an unpressurized aircraft like this. Her ECG did not have ischemic change, but just to throw a further wrinkle into the case for our poor rural physician who's dealing with this very sick woman, uh, her ECG had uh, tremendous changes, of course, um, typical of hyperkalemia as well, which uh, wasn't helping. She had very peak T waves throughout her um, uh, you know, her her K was 6.9 uh, on a VBG that was done uh, in the periphery. And so th- this is another issue that we had to deal with. And of course, you know, our standard response to that is going to be, you know, to give calcium uh, gluconate or calcium chloride and insulin and bicarb and, and do all the things that we typically do to shift. But now that's all adding more volume, right? You're going to be injecting more volume into this person, even though it's not a lot of volume, given someone an amp or two of bicarb is a big deal when you're already critically volume overloaded. So, but you still got to deal with it. So we started to try and, and deal with the K issues as well. And, and, and then at that, at that point, she really started to decompensate. Now her SATs, despite even riding her, her uh, peep up further to the 10, 12 and a half range, if I recall correctly, um, her SATs were now in the sort of high 70s, early 80s uh, range again. And, and so very, very sick. And so, uh, you know, um, both the real physician and my crew are going, boy, we don't think this lady's going to survive transport to get back in a 45-minute flight. Yeah, so at, at this point, you've done sort of what most of us would do is uh, nitro. You've given BiPAP, not by BiPAP, but uh, that's a great alternative is to just use a ventilator machine with some PEEP. What other options did you have at this point? Now this gets to the crux of the case, and that is what can you do acutely? And, and this can even apply in tertiary care. I've had uh, situations with patients in the middle of the night coming in with complete renal failure and volume overload issues that need dialysis. But even in a tertiary care institution, getting dialysis very quickly is a couple hours minimum. By the time you get your lines in and get the consultants down and the machines and everything else, it's, it can take some time. So we did what I've done probably half a dozen times over the years, and that's uh, we just took the volume off. We just you know uh, phlebotomized this woman, essentially and took off 250 cc's and and then a further 250 cc's over the next 20 minutes with a very abrupt uh, improvement. So it's the ultimate dialysis in terms of volume. You just take it away. Unfortunately, she had the hemoglobin to allow that. Her hemoglobin was normal, and so there was no issue there. 
And so it was a very dramatic uh, sort of improvement, uh, sats then uh, into the early 90s, and it became a fairly routine transfer. We managed her potassium like you would normally manage potassium, and she did just fine. Got her back to dialysis and much ado about nothing. Nice. Wow. So beyond the usual things that we'd go to in this situation with acute renal failure and CHF, nitro, BiPAP, positive pressure, phlebotomy, um, I mean, it makes sense. You just want to get that volume off any way you possibly can. I guess Lasix may help, but if in this woman, she's totally anuric, you don't really have that choice either. So, wow. How do you actually go about doing the phlebotomy? So, I mean, it's just as simple as having a decent IV and you just draw the blood back through the IV. I mean, you can't, can't do it through a 20 gauge or something. You need a decent sized bore catheter. So a 16 or, you know, an 18 antecubital IV works just fine. And um, that's all that our crew did. They just very slowly, slowly pardon me, uh, drew that, you know, the, the blood off her existing IV access and, you know, discarded it. We didn't try to save it for autotransfusion later or anything like that. There was no need for that. Her hemoglobin, I think, was 169. And, uh, and so it's just that easy, Anton. Just draw it, draw it off a good venous peripheral catheter. You don't need central access to do it. It's, yeah, pretty straight. But it's no, no different than the lab techs coming down and drawing a bunch of samples when once internal medicine sees the patient and orders 700 blood tests that are unnecessary. <laughs> I guess the other option is, you know, yeah. consult internal medicine yeah, that's and right. phlebotomize get the anyway. patient exactly. anyways. <laughs> yeah. Failure always gets better after being seen by medicine. No, no offense to internal medicine. Of course. They do a great job. I'm just teasing. Maybe we'll talk briefly about one other circumstance, and that's what to do if you have somebody that is anemic. So a lot of these renal failure patients can, can have low hemoglobins chronically or acutely, or they present with a GI bleed and, and a combination of an exacerbation of their failure because they get ischemic. I've actually, on, on another circumstance, had to do something that was very odd, and, and uh, I've only had to do it on, on one occasion, actually. So this is an end of one experience. But a young person that had a low hemoglobin in the 40s presenting with good pasture syndrome and, and renal failure in florid pulmonary edema again, where we we just couldn't get dialysis fast enough for this for this young man, and in that circumstance, um, we actually used rotating tourniquets. We put tourniquets uh, on his legs, just big, you know, leg blood pressure cuffs like you would use in the operating room to take down blood supply while you do an operative procedure. And so, we blew those cuffs above uh, his systolic pressure and would sort of rotate leg to leg uh, every 15 minutes or so within his level of of pain and tolerance to be able to take that uh, using small amounts of narcotic uh, to manage the discomfort associated with that. But that was also very effective. And in that circumstance, you're essentially just taking off, you know, a significant portion of of the preload coming back to the heart. And also very, very effective, worked very well in a circumstance where it really didn't have another choice to be able to acutely manage volume that was unresponsive to, again, nitro and BiPAP in that circumstance. And uh, again, another anuric uh, individual. So sometimes you have to get very creative dealing with these ridiculously sick renal failure patients um, while you wait for the definitive dialysis to be set up. I suppose the take-home points there are beyond the usual nitro and BiPAP for the patient who's in renal failure and CHF, total volume overload. One of the things to consider is phlebotomy. You draw off 250 to 500 cc's approximately or until they respond. Yeah. Um, and then the if they have severe anemia, then consider doing rotating BP cuffs every 20 or 30 minutes, blown up to above systolic. Make sure you treat the pain. 
while you're doing that. Those are some great tips and tricks of the trade uh, when you're in that really difficult and not that rare situation of needing dialysis like now and you just can't get access to it. Yeah, and it's very abruptly successful. And again, that's not to say there aren't other things we can do in these circumstances too, like adding in ACE inhibitors and stronger arterial vasodilators and all that kind of stuff. But there's there's always patients that just for one reason or another either can't have those medications or you can't get them quick enough and they're drowning in front of you. And so some of these things can be done very quickly. For instance, phlebotomy, that's instant. You can just take the blood off right now and, and you've got an instant solution to the problem. Likewise, the, you know, the use of tourniquets on, on the legs is instantaneous. And so in a small institution, if you ask somebody, for instance, to try and set up IV nitride or to get some IV enalapril or you know, um, even get sublingual captopril and have it immediately available, yeah, it's, it's often not. It can take 20, 30, 40 minutes to get these things down from pharmacy and then even more time to mix them up. So these are just stopgap measures that you can use when the patient's in significant duress and yet just don't have much time. And that's really why I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. And of course, so many patients like this one uh, that you presented are hyper K when they come to you in renal failure. And so ACE inhibitor isn't a choice in that situation either. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And hence the reason it wasn't used. All right. Well, great case. Thanks so much for telling us that one, Dr. Betzner. It was a pleasure having you. And um, I'm hoping that we can keep on collaborating for many years into the future on our Crit Cases blog. So uh, thanks again. I totally appreciate your time and efforts, and it's a great thing that you're putting out there for people, Anton, so keep up the good work. (laughs) 